0: It's Tuesday, May 14th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Trade war continues. China has hit back with tariffs on $60 billion in U.S. goods after President Trump increased tariffs on $200 billion of Chinese goods last Friday. The moves were made after trade talks once again stalled between the two countries. Sabrina Rodriguez, trade reporter at Politico, joins us for the latest tit for tat and how Trump's trade agenda is working out so far. Next, Operation Varsity Blues continues to work its way through the courts as actress Felicity Huffman has officially pled guilty in the college admission cheating scandal. The big question now is, what will her punishment be? Lou Shapiro, federal defense attorney in Los Angeles, joins us to discuss the case and why William H. Macy hasn't been charged with anything. Finally, for anyone that has a smart speaker in their home, you know that Alexa has been eavesdropping on you the whole time, right? The smart speaker is always listening and in many cases is also recording you and keeping that recording for the company to listen to. Jeffrey Fowler, tech columnist at The Washington Post, joins us for what he learned after listening to four years of his own Amazon Alexa archives. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
1: The tariffs themselves are producing a big increase in customs duties, big increase. In my judgment, the economic consequences are so small, but the possible improvement in trade and exports and open markets for the United States, this is worthwhile doing.
0: Joining us now is Sabrina Rodriguez, trade reporter at Politico. The U.S. and China have been trying to come to a trade agreement for some time now. All the talks seem to have fallen apart last week. And China fired back by raising tariffs on roughly $60 billion worth of U.S. goods. This was all in retaliation also for the president raising more tariffs on China. What do we know about these new tariffs?
2: It's really... Been getting more complicated between the US and China in the past few weeks. They had been negotiating in good faith back and forth for a while now, and China now announced because of Trump's new tariffs that they would be raising. $60 $60 billion worth of goods in tariffs, and that's going to hit anything from mattresses to video games to mouthwash. China has hit a lot of U.S. consumer goods, things that we're used to getting in our homes on a daily basis. So they're going to be hitting those tariffs as high as 25%. Uh, it could be anywhere between 5 and 25%. They haven't announced specifically what will be hit at 25%. But it's clear that China is not going to just accept Trump's tariffs.
0: So what happened with the negotiations? It seems like there was a lot of miscalculations. The U.S. was accusing China of backtracking on certain deals that they thought were already done. What happened with the trade talks last week and before that?
2: It really heated up last week, I would say. For the past month or so, U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer and Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin had been saying, we're confident that we'll have a response to give in the next month. Not necessarily that there would be a deal or that it was going to be success. So there was a lot of hope that they would have a deal and that they would have something to announce this past Friday. They originally went last weekend to China and they met with the negotiators there And that's when everything really heated up of the Chinese negotiators saying, we're not going to change our laws. Yeah, we can commit this on paper, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be changing Chinese law. So the U.S. took that as them backtracking on the things they had promised, commitments that they thought were settled. And they had been at a point where they were saying, we're about 90 percent done with this. And when China started saying, you know, we're not okay with this, it definitely changed the dynamics of this. So they came back to the U.S. and they told President Trump about it. And once they debriefed Trump on it, the president decided, no, we're going to lift the tariffs.
0: One of the sticking points for the Chinese also was that they were demanding that we lift all of the current tariffs that are on there right now, increases that have come in the past year, that we lift those as a part of the agreement. And I guess the U.S. wasn't willing to lift those until they saw a complete change in China, or maybe they just never wanted to do it to begin with. That was also one of the sticking points for China.
2: For China, it's definitely a big part of this is knowing that for the past year, Trump has had tariffs on over $250 billion worth of Chinese goods. That obviously has not been great for the Chinese economy. And they've always said, you know, we want those tariffs to be lifted. That has been part of their end goal for the negotiations. But on the U.S. side, the Trump administration, one of their big points is wanting a strongly enforceable agreement. So they've wanted to make sure that whatever deal they get with China, they have a way to enforce it. And part of that, the talk has been that tariffs would be part of that equation. So they wouldn't want to lift the tariffs and then find themselves in a situation where they couldn't enforce the agreement.
0: Let's take a step back and talk about the overall trade agenda for the president there hasn't been too much accomplished other than a lot of these tariffs. He has this trade negotiations going going on with China. We have the new USMCA agreement between uh, Canada and Mexico that seems to be getting a lot of opposition in both the House and the Senate, including from some Republicans. Talk about the overall trade agenda and how we're going there.
2: In the Trump trade policy, he's focused very much on trade in this administration, saying how he's going to crack down on unfair trading practices from US allies from other countries. And he's focused on it very much, but he hasn't had many results in reality. So his actions with China don't require congressional action. So Congress can't necessarily approve or crack down on him putting these tariffs. But the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, for example, he's been talking for so long about how much he hates the original NAFTA and what a terrible deal it was for the U.S. He renegotiated a deal and now it's stuck in Congress. Republicans and Democrats alike are having issues with the deal. Republicans in particular are upset because he still has in place deal aluminum tariffs on allies like Mexico and Canada. So they're saying, why would we vote on this when you haven't resolved this issue on the table? And besides that, I mean, he said that he was going to negotiate all these other trade agreements. He announced plans to launch talks with the EU, with the UK and with Japan. And those talks are all in very early stages.
0: We hear about how great the economy is doing all the time and unemployment is low and all that good stuff. But how have we been faring throughout all of these different trade negotiations?
2: have really been the ones feeling it above all. If you talk to farmers in Iowa, in Michigan, and Illinois, I mean, they're talking about there's record high farm bankruptcies. And that's partially because of this trade uncertainty, because they're losing access to markets. So With Mexico and Canada, for example, a lot of them, pork producers among corn as well, have all been deeply affected by the tariffs that the U.S. has imposed and by retaliatory tariffs. So a lot of them are losing market share. There's a lot of uncertainty and businesses aren't able to make decisions because they don't know if there is going to be a new trade agreement passed in Congress this year. They don't know if... China's going to put more tariffs. So really, there's a lot of just waiting and seeing. But in the process of waiting, people are losing money.
0: Sabrina Rodriguez, trade reporter at Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me.
1: And the defense attorney you can bet will be arguing to the judge passionately. Your Honor, my client has no record. This is her one mistake in life. It was a mere $15,000. If you compare that to everything else she has achieved, it would be a miscarriage of justice to send someone like this to custody.
0: Joining us now is Lou Shapiro, state and federal defense attorney based in Los Angeles. We're going to keep talking about this Operation Varsity Blues, the college admissions cheating scandal. The latest thing that happened was actress Felicity Huffman pleaded guilty in a Boston courtroom to her charges. She admitted to paying $15,000 to William Rick Singer, who was the architect of this whole cheating scandal. She paid to have him inflate her daughter's SAT, Scores. Tell us a little bit about this guilty plea because she's one of the most high profile, one of the earliest ones to plead guilty. It seems like it's moving along fairly quickly on her end. She released a letter. She sounded very remorseful. It sounded sincere. How is her case moving along?
1: I think Huffman took into account the court of public opinion on this one, and she realized that even if she has any sort of a legal defense down the road, what good would it get her even if she prevailed in terms of her professional and public image relationship with everybody else? I mean, she's thinking long term, how can she rebound and resurface and try to emerge from this on uh, not too skate if possible? And that's what I think went into her thinking in comparison to Laughlin, for example, who is not pleading guilty off the bat and is pushing this for the time being.
0: So what now now that she's pled guilty, what kind of uh, time is she facing? I know prosecutors are trying to ask for anywhere between four to 10 months in jail for her while
1: prosecutors are asking for four to 10 months. And even her defense attorney is agreeing to that to some extent, that custody time. Would be appropriate in writing. When we come to the actual sentencing, it's going to be a whole different dynamic. I expect her attorneys at sentencing to be arguing for probation and no time. And that's because at the time of sentence, a judge is instructed to take into account a defendant's achievements, accomplishments, everything they've done in their life that paints them in a positive light. And the defense attorney you can bet will be arguing to the judge passionately. Your honor, my client has no record. This is her one mistake in life. It was a mere $15,000. If you compare that to everything else she has achieved, it would be a Character of justice to send someone like this to custody.
0: That's a big point. I mean, I think on the spectrum of all the people that have been caught up in this cheating scandal, she is on the lower end of money that she paid to Rick Singer. There's a guy named David Sloan, who was an L.A. resident. He's an executive of a water systems company. He also pled guilty to some of the same stuff. I think he spent like $250,000 to get his kid into USC and they went the sports route as a water polo player. They bought the gear on Amazon. They took pictures and photoshopped his head on the body of like a real water polo player and uh, during a real match and things like that. So prosecutors are recommending that David Sloan spend a year in jail and pay a $75,000 fine. So contrast that to Felicity Huffman. Yeah, she didn't pay as much money. So maybe she's not on the hook for as much now.
1: We have to see how much weight the judge at sentencing is going to be giving to the amount of money that was used. It could be that the judge will just say, I don't care whether it was fifteen thousand or 150000 hundred and fifty thousand. Either way, the act in and of itself offends me, and I feel that some form of a jail sentence is warranted as a result. Alternatively the judge could split hairs and say, based on the money, that's what I'm going to use as a guiding principle in terms of handing down appropriate sentences.
0: What do we know about William H. Macy, Felicity Huffman's husband? He's not been charged in this cheating scandal, but They do know that he was kind of involved. He knew what was going on. They have, uh, I think, recorded phone calls and some emails maybe of him agreeing to some of this stuff. How come he hasn't been charged? Is there a possibility for him to still be charged?
1: Macy is the unsolved mystery in this whole fiasco. No one understands why hasn't he been charged just like Lachlan's wife was charged. And the distinction perhaps could be made that, number one, there may not be that much evidence against Macy as there is in the Lachlan's marriage against the husband. In addition, it could be that the prosecutors wanted to use Macy in a way to leverage a deal from Huffman. In other words, a room chatter, like if you take a deal, then we won't go after your husband on this one.
0: Interesting. These conversations, recorded conversations with Huffman and Macy and and Rick Singer, these recorded conversations have to do with their second daughter that they were trying to get pushed through with the same SAT scheme, but they didn't follow through on that one. They only followed through with their eldest daughter. So maybe even with that evidence, you know, all the evidence points to the second one where they didn't go through with it. So maybe that could also be another possibility there.
1: Right. And certainly the prosecutor could use the evidence from the daughter that did not go forward with it and use that as circumstantial evidence to show that, you know, Macy probably had knowledge in the first one as well, just like you had in the second one that didn't go through. But again, the prosecutors probably realized, why don't we just go after one, maybe use the other one as leverage to squeeze the other spouse into taking a deal.
0: Sentencing, they say, uh, probably 12 to 14 weeks away still. Lori Lachlan still is going to be going through the process far longer than Felicity Huffman is going to be going through it also.
1: The longer they wait, the harder it will be to make that argument. So it's, the door is not closed in terms of other defendants taking responsibility. Lachlan also can turn around and say, you know what, I also want to take a deal. And there's early responsibility involved. But that window will be closing at some point, And when it does, it will be the point of no return.
0: Yeah, and the nerves get shakier the more time that passes. Lou Shapiro, state and federal defense attorney based in L.A. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. It's a walk down memory lane that you never wanted. When I went through mine, there were thousands of recordings. Some are mundane.
1: Alexa, set time for
0: six minutes. Some are a little awkward. Giggle. And others are from unexpected house guests.
1: Alexa, send me a fart.
0: Joining us now is Jeffrey Fowler, technology columnist for the Washington Post. We're going to be talking about how much Alexa and Amazon are actually eavesdropping on you It's all the time, basically. There was a study NPR and Edison Research said that about 120 million smart speakers are in U.S. homes. Amazon said that there are 100 million Alexa devices that have been sold globally. There was a story that came out not too long ago that Bloomberg did basically saying that Alexa is always recording all of your audio. And a lot of times they have actual human people listening to those audio files. And they say it's going to make their AI better. The voice recognition is going to be better. Tell us a little bit about what you went through, because you went back and listened to four years of audio that Alexa had been recording from you.
3: The inspiration was, you know, many smart speaker owners don't realize this, but Amazon keeps a copy of everything Alexa records after it hears its name and also sometimes even when it doesn't hear its name. So I decided to go through my own personal archive four years of recordings and in there I found thousands of fragments of my family's life, you know, things you would expect, things like, you know, calling up timers for making spaghetti and checking the weather, but also things that I didn't expect to be in there at all, dozens of occasions when Alexa just started recording on her own randomly. And sometimes it was just random bits of conversation. Sometimes it it started recording during an episode of Downton Abbey. I have no idea why (laughs) I like Downton Abbey so much. And in other cases, it was things like I did not want recorded, you know, family talking about medication or a friend who was visiting, was sitting on my couch, was talking about a business deal on the phone. Didn't realize she was next to a microphone that might decide to record her. So I got some details of that as well. I think there's just a lot more that's being not only recorded, but saved by Amazon and other smart speaker makers and I think a lot of people might realize.
0: They do make these audio files available to you. There's a way that you can Google it. You can, I think in your article, you actually have a link on how to go listen to your Alexa archives, but it's not just Amazon and Alexa. All the other ones are doing it too. Apple does it. Google was doing it. I think they just changed some of their policies on that. I love the way you put in the article. There's a brazen data grab going on and there's few regulations on this and very little people who can be watchdogs on this to check all this stuff. So what is the line from Amazon? How is this improving their AI? How is this improving their products?
3: The line from Amazon is that they use the voice recordings to better be able to understand different kinds of accents or different kinds of sonic situations. So they really set up the situation as kind of like, we have to make a choice between privacy and the function of their technology. But I think that's a pretty false choice. And you mentioned something a minute ago that is that proves the point. Google, last year, stopped requiring folks to allow them to keep the recordings of your interaction with their assistants, which you get to through Google Home devices or through Android phones. And Google has arguably an even better artificial intelligence technology than Amazon does. And they've said, no, actually, we don't need it. So I think what's really happening is we're seeing Amazon and other companies grab whatever data they can. We're in this phase where there aren't really any laws, there aren't any rules, and most people haven't been noticing or poking around it it. they're grabbing whatever they can just in the hopes that it might be useful in the future
0: with the Alexa you have to actually manually delete the recordings but they're still going to continue to record you (laughs) so you have to go that way Google has changed their stuff you can put that stuff on pause so they don't record you where does Apple fit into this
3: Apple is interesting because they of course like to tout that they're better at privacy and in many aspects of the smart home they are a little better at privacy but in this one it's kind of a head-scratcher Siri by default records you now they don't necessarily associate Associate those recordings with you personally in the way that Google and Amazon do. They anonymize it to a certain degree, but Apple does not give you a choice to tell them to stop recording, which, which really surprised me.
0: It's not just the smart speakers, every appliance, everything that's connected to a smart speaker or your smart home, let's say, is collecting data on you. Tell us about that.
3: I spent some time going through four years of voice archives, and then I said, well, gosh, I wonder what else is being collected about my smart home. So I went to the Nest thermostat. I went to my Hue light bulbs. I went to my connected garage door and doorbell and all these sorts of things. And I started quizzing the companies that make them about what data not only were collecting, but also what they were storing on their website and who else they were sharing it with. And I found almost all of them were storing very intimate details about what went on in my house indefinitely. In some cases, I really had to kind of dig into it to get them to tell me exactly when and how, or in one case, they let me see it. In other cases, they only give you the the power to delete it if you want, but otherwise they know most people won't ask, and so they're going to hold on to it forever and ever. And then the craziest part of all is I found almost all of them were sharing all of that data with Amazon as well, because as part of the deal to be able to allow your device to be operated by Alexa. Amazon insists that these companies hand over all this live data about what's going on with the devices in the home.
0: Your Nest thermostat can tell when you're getting up for maybe a late night snack. Let's say you have a smart fridge. Uh, it knows you open the fridge and it's going to tell all this information back to Amazon. And then you're going to get ads later saying, hey, uh, try out these favorite snacks that people have been buying in your area. Things like that. You know, It's just so crazy how interconnected this stuff is. And with everybody sharing all the data that's being gathered and it's all being stored, they create these profiles of individual people and how to market and how to advertise towards them. Jeffrey Fowler, tech columnist for The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. You bet. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.